Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, how many of you remember your graduation ceremony or the speech given at your graduation ceremony? (laughs) We've heard some good ones. I've heard some really good ones because of their exceptional quality. I've also heard some really interesting ones because of their exceptional quality. we're laughing because at my, Ian, my son Ian, he graduated last, last summer. At his graduation, the class valedictorian like, made this valiant effort of using the symbol of a, of a container ship, which was caught in the storm at sea. And one of the containers had like, been broken and spilled out into the sea. And this container was a container full of rubber duckies. And so the graduation class were obviously the rubber duckies now entering into the seas and being scattered throughout the world and finding their way to unknown shores. Um, It was great. (laughs) I mean, a little obvious, a little cute, and at least it was really long too. So (laughs) it was all working together. But we hear statements like, um, you know, you're gathered here on the precipice of your life. You're gathered here about to step into the future. You're ready to take the world and leave your mark. You know, some fun, interesting quotes from graduation speeches. This is Timothy Charlemagne. We're only here for so long, so be happy, man. You might get hit by a truck tomorrow. Lady Gaga, don't allow people to dim your shine because they're blinded. Tell them to put on sunglasses. Great. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the, the poet of our time, you can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in your pockets. Okay? Wayne Gretzky, you guys probably know this one. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. That's actually good advice. Opportunity is missed by most people because it's often dressed in overalls and looks like work. That's Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison. Uh, This one's really, actually, this one kind of got me. The road to success, it's always under construction. That's Lily Tomlin. Uh, Get busy or get busy dying. Stephen King. What can we expect from Stephen King? Um, Take your risks now. As you grow older, you become more fearful and less flexible. Try to keep your mind open to possibilities and your mouth closed on matters that you don't know much about. Limit your always and your nevers. Continue to share your heart with people, even when it's hurt. That's Amy Poehler. Good job, Amy. I love that one. You cannot dream of becoming something that you know nothing about. You have to learn to dream big. Education exposes you to what the world has to offer, the possibilities open to you. That's Sonia Sotomayor. Education is the most powerful weapon that we have to change the world. Nelson Mandela. 
I think education, in this case, I know, you know, we know of Nelson's life, I think he was thinking of education broadly. In other words, the hope of the gospel has a strong part to play in there. Jennifer Garner, actress, fight for what makes you optimistic about the world. Find it, insist on it, and dig into it. Go for it. Oprah, you must have vision for your life. Even if you don't know the plan, you have to have the direction in which you're headed. That's a good one. Martin Luther King Jr., intelligence plus character. That is the goal of true education. And maybe my favorite to wrap up comes from Stephen Colbert. Yeah. You're about to start the greatest improvisation of it all. There's no script. No idea what's going to happen, what's going to come your way. Often with places and people that you've never seen before. And you are not in control. So say yes. And if you're lucky, you'll come to find people who say yes right back. That's a good one. You know, in one of the historic commencement speeches uh, given thousands and thousands of years ago, the speaker said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, but there's two choices that lie before you. One leads to life and one leads to death. I hope you choose life. That's a kind of a shocker. That's an eye-opener, right? I hope I choose life too. Why would I choose death? That sounds terrible. But we're going to talk about that tension that we experience today. You know, in the last few weeks, as we've been just studying and discussing what the incarnational Christ among us, God with us, means through our lectionary passages, we've been kind of feeling, I don't know about you, but even in my study, we've been feeling a bit of a pendulum thing happening here. We have weeks where we talk about, hey, the kingdom of heaven works this way. You know, you can expect things like that quid pro quo idea. If this behavior happens, you can expect that kind of outcome. The kingdom of heaven works like this and that. But then, as you remember, just a few weeks ago, we had from the book of Micah this courtroom scene, really, where God and the children of Israel were saying, look, I've, I've fulfilled my end of the contract, but you're just not doing your side of things. The children of Israel were saying, I've done all of the, the thises, so where's the that? What's happening? And God is saying, look, you're missing it. It's not just a simple contract that life is about here. I'm looking for your hearts. I want relationship. I never intended this and that. The this and that was really intended for your own good so you'd learn to trust me and to lean upon me. We've seen situations and ways in that life seemingly works this way. That life seemingly works, if this happens, then that happens. And today we're going to be discussing another one of those tensions. Our passage today continues that theme, and it might feel, again, like we're swinging back towards the contractual, legalistic, if this and that side of the spectrum here, compared to where we were a couple weeks ago. But our job today is to kind of look under the surface of what this passage is telling us. Look under the surface, 
dig into what it meant for those who were hearing it, and then look how the Holy Spirit may help us apply that to our hearts and our lives in the kingdom that's all around us. Sound good? We'll do it. Let's pray before we get, dive into the word. Loving God, anoint us with your Holy Spirit, and as we hear your word this day, fill us with your truth that we may walk in your ways, the ways of God, to the glory of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in our lectionary passage, our Old Testament lectionary passage of Deuteronomy chapter 30 today. It'll be on the screens for you. You're welcome to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning on verse 15. It says, now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land that the Lord, the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, the whole book of Deuteronomy, am I saying that right? I never feel like I say that word right. Tina, I'm sorry. I'm probably butchering that name. The whole book of Deuteronomy serves as Moses' final dissertation to the people. Moses knows that his time is coming to an end, that he himself will not be occupying the land promised. And so he's giving a final pep talk, a final um, speech to the people as they stand on the bank, like literally on the banks of the Jordan, about to cross over into the promised land that they've been seeking after for 40 years. Ian's valedictorian speech was pretty long, but Moses' speech is 34 chapters. I'm not going to cover it all today, and luckily we don't have to hear it all in this one sitting, although that would be pretty interesting. Um, but his speech was full of the things that we've come to expect from commencement speeches. Very big, bombastic statements and claims, dramatic metaphors, and kind of a rehearsal of all the things that this graduating class, the children of Israel, have experienced. Also, reminding them of all the things they've learned. That's kind of what a good commencement speech does. It states the obvious. It just tells you what you've experienced, gives you a few reminders about the things you've learned, and then encourages you to step out into the next phase, right? 
They encourage us to, at times, gird ourselves up to remember the truth that we've come to know and to remember that in contrast to sometimes the harsh reality of real life, (laughs) right? Presumably, where the challenges that we face will be tempting for us to lose sight of what we've come to know and to understand. In other words, we need this reminder because we likely will experience times that are hard. Moses is inviting the people of God, look, you've experienced two things in this last season of 40 years. You've experienced many things that were life-giving. You've also experienced things that were not life-giving. I hope as you move forward, you focus on the life-giving things. The road ahead gives you those two opportunities, to choose life or to choose death. So, in Moses' mind, what does it mean to choose life? We heard it from those passages, but let's expand upon it, and let's look at some of the other examples he gives in this larger speech. According to Moses, looking at his discourse all throughout the book, it means many things, but the first and foremost is this. It means to love God with heart, mind, and soul. This, you know, brings us to mind of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is a famous passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children Talk about them when, the, when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. It's a good reminder. You might be familiar with that passage. It's a famous passage. It's known deeply by um, Jews, both ancient and modern, as the Shema prayer, the Hear, O Israel prayer. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. Of course, generations later, when Jesus is confronted by folks asking, Lord, what's the most important commandment? You know, they're looking to trap him, right? As they often did. They said, Lord, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. But there's a second, and it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Because Jesus was taking all of what also happened in the book of Deuteronomy and kind of wrapping it up in that idea of love your neighbor as yourself. Moses gives all of these examples of what it means not only to love God, but to love your community, love your neighbor all throughout the book. Here's a few examples. There's, these are in your sermon notes if you'd like to see them. Um, here's a few examples. Cancel the debts of the poor. It comes from chapter 15 of that book that I'm mispronouncing, Deuteronomy. 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 Advance uh, advocating for safeguards against excessive wealth. Comes from chapter 16. Limiting punishment to protect human dignity. That comes from chapter 19. Restricting those who can be drafted into war. Chapter 20. 
offering hospitality to runaway slaves, chapter 23, paying employees fairly, it comes from chapter 24, and leaving part of the harvest for those who need it most, that's also from chapter 24, 19 through 22. For the nation of Israel, transitioning from wandering in the desert for all these 40 years on the brink of taking possession to the, their new land, this list was full of very specific ways that they could love their neighbor. This dissertation that Moses is giving. Because, you know, as a nation who's about to step into their own land, they had this opportunity, kind of like high school graduates have. We have this opportunity to reinvent ourselves. We get to kind of change the rules because we have a very clear breaking point that's happening in our lives. And we get the chance to be the thing that we've always wanted to be, even if maybe gravity has pulled us in a direction we didn't ever intend to be in in the first place. Moses is reminding the people that as you go ahead, as you now set up your nation, as you begin to set up all the things that are going to govern you, choose life. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself by doing all these things. You know, because as Moses looks back over those 40 years of wandering in the desert, there was lots of ups and downs. There were many times when things went great, but there were also a few times when things went really pretty terrible. And for Moses, there was a clear connection between the internal life of faith and the communal life of faith, that the two went hand in hand. There was a connection of dots. So if this is what it looks like to live in life, the obvious question is, well, what does it look like to choose death, to not choose life? What is it that Moses is referring to? Obviously, he says, but if you turn your hearts away and refuse to listen, and are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. So in other words, if you choose to ignore the things that lead to life, if you choose to ignore these things you've experienced, and if you choose to be distracted by other gods, lowercase gods here, that seemingly is the road to death. To put simply, ignoring or forgetting all the good things that God has done refusing to join him in living into this different way, that is what it means to choose death. Instead, this choice chases after the allure and the distractions that the world would offer us to make priorities and decisions that are antithetical to the way of God. And most of these choices, I mean, obviously, there's the biggies, right? There's the big things that we probably all think about. Never do those things. But I think what Moses is referring to also here implies all the seemingly mundane, the seemingly everyday decisions that we make. Decisions that don't seem all that big and important by themselves in the moment, but are a reminder that every day, the little choices we make are leading us in a direction. Which direction is it? <laughs> some point towards life and some may point us away from life. If I had to kind of paraphrase it or wrap it up for you, and at least the way it works for my mind, 
We choose death when we ignore God's good and intended order for how he has created the world to be. We choose death when we give our time and our efforts to things that just distract us away from the common good. And hear me here, I'm not talking about like, are we going to go enjoy the Super Bowl today? <laughs> There's plenty, yeah, the few head wipes. There's plenty of things that we can enjoy from this life that we have created. It's not just all about going on a nice hike in nature. We have created beautiful, amazing things in life. Sure, at times when there's brutality in football, that's a different discussion, but you know, we're gonna enjoy the game, right? We can do that. But so often, our modern lives tend to have this kind of impoverished look to it, a lack of communal purpose. I say this, I say this gently because I feel this tension. I at times feel impoverished with a lack of general common purpose. We rush to meet deadlines that seem significant, but if we really think about it, how significant is it? Obviously, we need to fulfill the duties that we have in our workplaces and our lives, so yeah, there's a bit of rush to life, but are the things that we're rushing to fulfill, um, are we holding those in, in balance? We tend to focus pretty heavily on self-reliance, don't we? That our obligations, that our, our debts tend to be accumulated from this general life of consumeristic culture in which we live. Or we choose death when we simply cling to comfortable and familiar ways of our lives before we came to know the salvation and freedom of Jesus. We can find ourselves in the darkness if we don't learn to live in the light. Long ago, perhaps you experienced transformation and freedom but maybe there's still some lingering trauma, some lingering brokenness, some unfulfilled renewal that's lingering, causing you to have aspects of your life that remain in the shadow of your old ways. Seemingly, choosing death is less about simply avoiding the big obvious things like murder, exploitation, subjugation, you know, these big things, and more about our tendency to remain in or, or gradually descend back into selfishness or apathy. It's less about following a big set of rules somewhere and more about being honest with the Spirit and how He speaks into our heart, kind of seeing what lies underneath these rules and guidances in Scripture. You know, our gospel passage today comes from Matthew chapter 5. This is, of course, uh, the portion of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount, this section that would be our passage for today, kind of picks up after the Beatitudes where Jesus says, these are the things that are true of the kingdom. You know, it's kind of like a sting. This is who we are. This is what we know to be true. Now, how does that come into play throughout our lives? And so Jesus goes through this, uh, this many, like all these quick little rules and laws and, and just ways that we should live. 
We're not going to be able to go through all of those in depth, but I put the passage on your worship folder there in case you'd like to read that this week. But just like Jesus did with the Shema prayer, he took the, the law, what was stated in the Old Testament, and then he kind of expanded upon it. He said things like, you've heard your ancestors were told to not murder, but I tell you, not to harbor anger and hatred and, and just scorn and contempt in your hearts. Jesus is saying, like, yeah, don't murder people, but also don't carry around hatred. He says, you've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. I encourage you to flee from anything that would lead your life to lust after another in an unhealthy way. Don't exploit and corrupt your mind. Don't exploit and corrupt others, even if it's a mental act. The list goes on and on, but Jesus is reiterating that heaven is not interested in contracts and rules, but hearts and intimacy. That choosing relationship and intimacy leads to motivation, which chooses life. This choice offered in our passage today isn't one that we love. <laughs> this, is not my, this is not the easiest sermon to prepare for. We don't love these kind of announcements, do we? It makes God and it makes his life of Christianity sound so autocratic. It makes it sound so in conflict to the freedom and the grace that we saw in the way Jesus interacted with the world. But even our passage from two weeks ago said that God is more interested in heart. So as we hear this, choose life, don't choose death. Please hear what God is saying to us today through the, through the Holy Spirit. It also makes us question things about God. If, if this is true, if this is the way it is, if God is enacting this thing, if God is like, live, if God is like focused on this contractual relationship with us, then it makes us question who God is because the, the natural question is, is God really focused in these conditional choices that we do or don't make? And the follow-up question is maybe more critical to us. How can the same God lovingly bless and prosper some people while seemingly he coldly enacts suffering upon others? I suppose we need to ask ourselves, is God the arbiter of this punishment and death that is being described in Scripture here? I'd like to remind us of something that we carried with us all through Advent, all through this season of Epiphany Tide. This quote by our friend Brian Zond, it says, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time in which God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. I love that. That helps me a lot. But let me maybe also just kind of wrap this up. Here's a few things that we know to be true of Scripture, of God, of what we know about the created order. One, God created all things and he called them good. In other words, God created you and his mind is made up about you and the news is good. God loves you. Second, God has an idea on how this created order is meant and designed to operate. He has an idea on how the created order, how you and I 
how community, how it's all supposed to operate. Third, mankind has not always chosen to follow this created order, which has resulted in the introduction of sin and death into the world. Four, sin and death are not God's design, nor his intention. And all of God's work, all of God's history in the world has been aimed at providing a lifeline for us out of the clutches of sin and death through Jesus Christ. Moses is trying to help God's legalistic, contractual people see once and for all that when we follow God's created design in life, we thrive and we experience life as is is intended to be. But when we turn our back on God and his created order, when we willfully leave his blessing and his covering, then we're likely to experience the natural consequences of leaving that favor, of stepping out of that covering, likely to experience those consequences of disorder and destruction that comes from stepping into the dark. So, would you willingly choose death? I don't think any of us would willingly choose death. It's counter to who we've been created to be. It's a distortion of who we are and what we should become. But let's be honest, many of us still have lingering shadows that touch our hearts from time to time. This is an unfortunate challenge, an unfortunate reality of this tension that we find ourselves in, living in this in-between time between the first advent when Christ came and provided freedom from sin. But what are we still waiting for? We're still waiting for his second advent, aren't we? Eric Marshall, if you were with us last weekend, he spoke about this a couple times. He mentioned this, alluded to this in his songs, that we live in this tension of the already not yet. We've spent many weeks during Advent discussing this tension, the already not yet. Some of us may struggle with this differently than others. You know, perhaps for you it's a little bit temperament-based. Perhaps there's a different history that you've experienced. We've all had different stories. But please know that if you wrestle with the shadow, if you feel sometimes those lingering effects of the shadow upon your life, please know that we see you. Please know that God sees you. And please know that his heart is saying, come. Keep at it. The fight's worth it. Keep working towards the light. Keep it up. Cling to your loved ones. Cling to your friends. Cling to those practices in your life that are life-giving, that cause your mind to say, I'm going to step out of the shadow and into the light for this season. Keep chasing after it and bringing as many along with you as you can, saying, come and see and taste what I've experienced, the grace and the healing of God. We don't do this often around here, but in closing, I'd like us to hear a song. It's gonna be played on the screens. It'll have the words on the screen. More 
this song is even maybe stylistically a little different than what we normally listen to around here, but that's okay. It's very uh, big and anthemic. But this song, there's no better way to kind of punctuate what we've been hearing today. Thanks, Melissa, for this recommendation. Let's hear this song. Oh, 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 